This is Beyond Reading the Bible, where we connect you with the living Word. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. My name is Randy McCracken. And my name is Lindsay Kennedy. And Lindsay, today we have a special guest with us. Uh, it's a friend of ours, Spencer Robinson. Spencer, we're glad to have you. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. Why don't you share a little bit with our listeners uh, about your background, where you're from, and so on. Well, I'm from the Deep South in Louisiana, but right now I live in Norway with my wife, and I'm a student there. And I met Randy and Lindsay here in New York and decided to come visit. Great. We're glad to have you with us today. And um, today we're going to talk about a, an interesting subject called inclusios. Lindsay, do you want to share with us a little bit about what an inclusio is? And we can all talk about some examples of it before you get into some specific details. Yeah, sure, Randy. Well, basically what, what inclusio is, is something that we find in other forms of literature, whether it is movies or books or, or whatever you have you. It's, it's something where you have at the beginning and the end of a section or the whole thing, you find the same ideas or words or themes being repeated. So to use a few examples from, from culture, I'm sure many of our listeners have seen a movie perhaps that will frame the story by the beginning and the end being the same sort of idea or very exact same moment in the storyline. The movie might actually start at the very end of the movie, so to speak, and then the rest of the movie says, oh, five years ago, and it takes you through back up to where you began. And by doing that, it's quite unique, quite interesting, and it, it really hammers in, okay, this is what it's all about. This is a key moment. You've seen it before, and we're back there again now. This is the climax of the movie, and you, because you've seen it already, you're, you're expecting it, you're anticipating it. And this moment you see those same scenes repeating, you think, aha, here we go. So lots of time travel movies, I'm sure, will, you'll find these sorts of ideas. So what an inclusio does is it sort of frames whatever it is, whether it's a movie or a book or a song or whatever it might be, it sort of frames the whole thing. Yeah, one example, uh, not to spoil anything for, for any potential viewers, but the TV series Lost actually begins and ends in the exact same shot. And so... There you go, probably just spoiled everything actually, but no, it's <laughs> how you get there is the interesting question, but you've got, it's very artistically framed with the beginning and the ending being the same. Right. Well, for instance, in some songs, and to use a very popular song that almost everyone would know, the Beatles' Yesterday, begins with the word yesterday, uh, all my troubles seem so far away, now I need a place to hide away, oh, I believe in yesterday, so it begins and ends with the word yesterday. Uh, to be a little more spiritual, maybe, and, and use a hymn, Are You Washed in the Blood? The chorus goes, Are You Washed in the Blood, uh, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Yeah. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood? And what these uh, frames do in this case with these songs is they emphasize sort of the, the key idea or the key theme of the song, and so they begin with it and they come back to that idea mm -hmm. at the end. And by doing that, they, they bracket off that whole middle section. Um, and that's really what an inclusio is. And so we find the same thing in Scripture, because Scripture, it's the Word of God, and it's inspired by God, and it's directed by Him. But it's also great literature. It's more than great literature, but it's certainly not less. You find many of the same features of great literature. Figures of speech, idioms, expressions, literary features, such as inclusios. So the authors of Scripture, they're... They're driven by the Lord, but they're also very clever people, I, I assume, because they're doing these sorts of things, and it, it takes careful reading. And so they want to communicate 
ideas and they want to do it artfully and they'll they'll choose they'll use everything that's at their disposal mm -hmm. and one of these features will be inclusios and that's that's one way to get a point across because we use we use the same thing don't we when we speak we we say more than just our words it's how we say our words mm -hmm. or how we write down our words the way they reframe them the way that we set them out can communicate just as much as the words themselves mm -hmm. that's right and we find the same sort of thing with inclusios and so if we want to section off okay, this is its own unique section, probably the most fundamental basic way we could do that would be through paragraphs. Mm -hmm. Another way we would do it beyond paragraphs, we might have a heading, a heading in bold. Mm -hmm. We might have a chapter saying chapter one and then units within that of heading, subsection A, subsection B, and so on. Or we might have bullet points or a change of a font. That these, these are things that, that draw our attention and we just don't even think about it. We just see these things. Oh, this is a new section. Right. We even have that in our Bibles. You'll have a heading in bold saying this is a new section. Right. And of course, it's not in the original, but it's something that we've done to help people say this is a new section. But in the ancient world, they don't have paragraph breaks. What they would have done is they would have used inclusios to do something similar to what we're talking about here with headings and bold and so on. And it communicates much the same idea. It, by bookending a section, beginning with one word or theme or idea, and ending with the same word, theme, or idea, it's telling you this is, in effect, a section, a paragraph, unit, chapter, whatever you want to call it. It's its own thing, and it should be read sort of separately to some degree. Mm. So we could probably start with some examples just to show our listeners, okay, how does this actually play out? Sure. Let's all share a few short examples and show the different ways that Inclusio can function in either a small piece of literature or a large piece and then I think, uh, Lindsay, you and Spencer are going to share some more detailed examples. And again, the object isn't just to say, oh, okay, well, this is a neat literary technique, but to see how it helps contribute to our understanding of what the Bible is trying to communicate to us. Yeah, so why don't we begin with the smaller ones? Because we'll find, we find all sorts of examples. We find some within a couple of verses, maybe even one verse. Mm -hmm. um, but then you also find some bigger ones, don't you, within chapters or bigger sections, even within a whole book. Right. So I think, Randy, you've got one. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one from the book of Judges, and this is at the beginning of the Samson story in Judges chapter 13. And this example basically covers the, the entire chapter. But if you notice in Judges chapter 13 and verse 3, we read about, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now the word appeared is an important word, and we're going to see that it occurs again at the end of the story. When we flip over to verse 21 of chapter 13, we read, When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Now you're saying, well, that's not quite the end of the chapter, and that's true. But if you notice, uh, what we have at the beginning of chapter 13, the first two verses are an introduction, and the last few verses conclude with the birth of Samuel. So they sort of balance out, uh, and right in the body of the chapter, you have this theme of the angel of the Lord appearing, announcing this special child that's going to be born. And the reason that's significant is not just to bracket off this introduction of Samson's story, but this word appeared comes from the Hebrew root to see. 
And this word see becomes very important in the Samson story. Samson has an eye problem, and as most everyone knows, he ends up being blinded at the end of the story. And so there's an ironic twist to the seeing problem that Samson has. Lindsay, I think you have a couple of quick examples for us, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Yeah, exactly. In Psalm 8, we find a very clear example of inclusio happening here. Verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then verse 9 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It says it's verbatim the exact same. And so that frames the whole of Psalm 8. So Psalm 8 goes on and describes other things, such as um, setting his glory above the heavens and then creating man and man's glory and um, being established over creation, all these other great themes. But it's all framed around the idea that God's glory, his name, that's the, that's the thing that we're praising. Mm-hmm. And then jumping ahead into the New Testament, another one that I think is quite illuminating is in Matthew 4. We have... Jesus beginning his ministry, calling his disciples. And then in verse 23, you find a summary statement from Matthew. It says, And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, so that's one thing, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So you find two ideas. He's proclaiming gospel of the kingdom and then healing every disease and affliction. And then if you jump ahead to Matthew 9, verse 35, you find another summary statement. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, first thing again, Mm. and healing every disease and every affliction, the second thing again. Mm. And that's interesting on its own, but when you you look into what's the content then of these chapters, you've got chapter 4 introducing chapter 5, and then you have chapter 9 here being the ending. Mm -hmm. So what what happens in between? Well, in between these, these bracketings, we have chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, so that's teaching. And then chapter 8 and chapter 9 are a lot of healings. Mm. So you've got Jesus' teaching and, and examples of many of Jesus' healings that put together. And so that summary statement of him proclaiming the kingdom and healing diseases really functions to bracket off this section, telling Matthew's readers, and now I'm going to give you some examples of those, mm-hmm. his teaching and his healings. So it's quite illuminating when I find that that really just tells you this is like saying chapter four, Jesus teaching and healings, you know, and then when that's over, it moves on to something new. Right. And that's great because that's an even larger example of an inclusio covering several chapters. And then, Spencer, I think you've got one you're going to share with us also from the Gospel of Matthew that actually covers the whole book. Yeah, this one's in the the first chapter where chapter one of Matthew, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. And then at the end of the book, the very last verse, it's chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And you even see it, for to give an example between this, you see this in dealing with a sinning brother. In chapter 18, Verse 20, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so that's just giving one example, but even with what Lindsay just said, that he's with the people, he's teaching them, he has compassion, he's showing he's um, healing them and showing his miraculous power that he is with them. He doesn't 
leave us nor forsake us. You could say with this bracket, he is the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. So we have God with us mm -hmm. in the person of Jesus being such a summary of Matthew. Don't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Now, you guys are going to share some more in-depth examples of this and really the insights that we can gain just by recognizing this simple little literary feature. So one example where we'll just spend some more time is in the example of Psalm 1 and 2. Now Psalm 1 and 2, many who read the Psalms, what they call canonically, where you're looking into the big picture of the Psalms, how they relate to one another, um, rather than reading the Psalms as their own individual units only, which is obviously that's a topic of its own that we'll probably do on a, in a later podcast, but those who, who want to read the Psalms related to one another, how they connect and so on, many of these people recognize that Psalm 1 and 2 really function as an introduction to the whole of the Psalms, the whole of the Psalter. And one way that, that we think that the um, editor of the Psalm, whoever these were, the editors of the Psalter, one way that they pointed this out is through the inclusio structure surrounding Psalm 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. So we have things like repeated words. So in Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. And then Psalm 2, verse 12, Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. So that's the same word in Hebrew, the way, beginning, way, and the end. A more obvious example even than that is, Blessed is the man, verse 1 of Psalm 1. And then verse 12 of Psalm 2, Blessed are all who take refuge in him, the king. So you have this idea of blessing beginning and ending Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. So there are things like that. There's also the fact that other than just inclusios, Psalm 3 begins by saying a prayer of David, and the majority of Book 1 of the Psalms are explicitly by David. Mm -hmm. Psalm 1 and 2, though, have no introduction. They have no heading telling you who's written it, mm -hmm. despite the fact that in the New Testament it tells you David wrote Psalm 2. Mm -hmm. So even though we know David wrote it, for some reason there's no heading, which I think is another hint that this is to be treated separately. So Psalm 1 and 2 sort of are bracketed off by this inclusio structure, the fact that they have no heading separating them, and they introduce the themes of the rest of the Psalter. They introduce the theme of the individual who trusts in the Lord versus the wicked, and the fact that the individual is very often very much individual as opposed to the wicked being in many. We also find the Torah being such a huge theme in the Psalms, beginning with Psalm 1, the law of the Lord being magnified and held up, and there are key Torah Psalms throughout the Psalter beyond the fact that the Torah plays a huge role anyway. And then we also find the nations here, which is, a, again, a very common theme. The nations being the enemies of God. We find the anointed one, who's also known as the Son. So we find the king. We find Zion. We find the fact that the Lord is king, and the king is king, and they share their throne as well, quite interestingly. And all these ideas are, are wrapped up in Psalm 1 and 2. And if you were to turn to virtually any psalm, you're going to find at least one of these themes showing up in some way. Mm. So these two psalms really introduce the whole book. And again, one way that we know that is through this inclusio structure, giving us that hint. Hmm. I think that's really some great insights into a different way of reading the psalms compared to what most people would think, as you said, taking them individually rather than seeing them together. Yeah, exactly. And as you point out very well, this inclusio structure of Psalm 1 and 2 
ties those two ideas together. Yeah, and we find it elsewhere throughout the Psalms too, but we'll save that for another podcast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Don't want to get too excited here. <laughs> well, uh, we're equal opportunity around here, and so Lindsay's given us an example of Inclusio in the Old Testament, and Spencer, you're going to share one with us from the New Testament in a little more detail. Yeah, and we have a section that's always confused me growing up and reading through the Gospels, but in Mark 8, verses 22 to 26, you have a blind man that Jesus heals at Bethsaida, and it's always strange because Jesus takes the blind man, leads him out of the town, and he heals him, but then the blind man only sees figures of what looks like trees walking, and so then Jesus touches him again, and then he's healed. And there's always speculations on this. Does Jesus not have enough power? Why does he not have it here? Does this man not have enough faith? Uh, and then the next section, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ and as the Messiah. And we all remember Peter putting his foot in his mouth. He then rebukes Jesus, and Jesus then has rebuked him. Get behind me, Satan. And what we see in the next few chapters, all the way up until the end of chapter 10, that Jesus gives three passion predictions for how he is going to die and then rise again. And the disciples, the entire time, seem like they don't understand what he's saying at all. Mm -hmm. They come up to him and Pete, uh, John and James, hey, can we sit on your left hand and your right hand in glory? After he just said, they will kill me. <laughs> and um, they don't know how to cast out a demon because they have been praying and they're arguing about who is the greatest. And it's confusing because you're wondering, well, aren't these the disciples of Jesus and they can't do anything? And then you get to the end of chapter 10 and they have Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus. But here Bartimaeus is calling him the son of David and he asks for his sight. And then when Jesus says, go your way, pretty much your way, wherever you want to go, you go. And so Bartimaeus, instead of turning away like the rich man, the rich man who had everything but wouldn't give his money to the poor. Here you have poor blind Bartimaeus who receives his sight, throws his cloak aside, and follows Jesus. And so in this section, there's the frame of the first man being healed, and there's the first touch, you can see a little bit, and then there's a second touch. And at the end of the frame, there's blind Bartimaeus who is healed and follows Jesus. He's a picture of the ultimate disciple mm -hmm. who just asks for sight. Jesus, just let me see, let me be able to see you. And then he follows Jesus. And so for the blind man in the beginning who has the two touches, it's we see how Jesus disciples his disciples throughout the section. This is what's going to happen to me. This is the way you're supposed to live. And they don't understand. And it's as if they need a second touch. They need another teaching. They need this until finally they will see Jesus die and rise, and then they will understand. And so Mark frames us in a way that we see how they need the second touch, how we all need multiple times of teaching and discipleship. We don't even understand things right away. But then finally we see Bartimaeus as the ultimate disciple, as one who follows Jesus on the way. And we see that through this section that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He is on the way to the cross. And whereas everybody else seems to misunderstand Jesus, they don't like what he's saying, Bartimaeus follows Jesus on the way to shame and humiliation. But ultimately, 
uh, ultimate honor and being glorified with Jesus. Well, thanks, Spencer. That's very illuminating, not to make a pun about the healing of the blind men. Uh, it's illuminating to me in a couple of ways. First of all, as you said, that's a passage of the double uh, laying on of hands by Jesus of the first blind man, and why does that happen? So it helps explain that. Uh, but also, it gives us a great example of an inclusio that we haven't seen. Lindsay and I have been talking about similar wording. But as you point out here, we have basically a similar theme of two blind men being healed. And that acts as the bookends around this particular section. So thanks a lot. That's really great. It's also interesting to notice you've got the similar themes, but you also have some differences there. And a lot of what we've been mentioning is the way you have the exact same phrase or a very similar phrase. For this, you have some differences where the first healing is of a man who's not named. Well, Bartimaeus, we, we assume he's a disciple because we know him by name now. Mm. Maybe the, the readers of Mark knew him personally. Mm. Maybe his story came from his own mouth. Mm. And so is recorded from, from blind Bartimaeus. And you even have other differences like with, with one being a complete healing, the other one being somewhat of a partial healing mm. that needs to happen again. And so these differences actually help bring out some of the teaching within the middle section mm. of, like you are saying, the disciples needing to, to grow in their own sight of who Jesus is, that have spiritual eyes to see, and, and so on. So I appreciate you guys sharing these more detailed examples of these inclusios, and hopefully they've been helpful for our listeners. And Lindsay, if, if someone is trying to do this at home in, in their Bible study, uh, you know, do you have some closing tips and ideas for them? Yeah, well, I definitely don't want to end the episode with, don't try this at home, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say the opposite is, please do try this at home. See what you can find because it's very enlightening. Uh, when you find these, it, it's often sometimes it's just encouraging. Of, wow, this is isn't this great? The way that the Lord has put together His own Scripture. Mm -hmm. Just to notice these these things can be really encouraging. But beyond that, I do have a few tips or, or hints or just guidelines that I want to suggest. Is that first of all, there is no exact science to this. That it's not black and white. There sometimes some people will see an inclusio where others don't. Mm -hmm. um, so it it really Fundamentally, just takes careful reading. That's the most basic thing we would do. Obviously, if we know the original languages, that would help too, because True. knowing the, you'll notice the exact same word being mentioned, where even if the English translation doesn't have the same word, sometimes a Greek or Hebrew will, and that will give us a hint. But beyond that, it's just to, to pay careful and close attention to what's being said, but not just what's being said, but how it's being said. And that takes a different kind of reading, perhaps, to what we're used to. It's not just saying, what is this actually saying, but how is it being said? What words are being said? In what order do we see this showing up again? Does this section seem to be recurring from something before? And so these, these things will help us, I think, discover these inclusios, um, especially paying attention to key words or key themes. And so these things will make help you understand if, if an inclusio is more likely or less likely will be, if maybe if you have a few words, showing up, and then those same words showing up again. The more words there are being repeated, the more likely more it would definite. be. Yeah, the yeah. And yes. maybe if, as Spencer's example from Matthew, God being with us is such a key theme in Matthew mm. that you know you're onto something when you find an inclusio. It's, it's not something like, oh, and he went outside, <laughs> and then somewhere else, someone else went outside at some other point of the story. You think, well, <laughs> you know, it's somehow less, less likely that something intentional is going on there. And that brings me to the next point is, this really is something that is intentional. 
If you find an inclusio that's not very likely that the author intended you to find one, then I think we're probably on, on shakier ground. Just to sum up, have clear parallels, making sense, being something that would be, appear to be intentional. If it fits the themes of the letter or book, then that's a good sign that we're on, on the right track. And especially if it illuminates what's in between yeah. the inclusio. That's a really key point is, is how does that bracket of framing actually interact with what's in between it? Yeah, it's kind of like a picture frame. We've been talking about how the inclusios frame the text in a way. And a good visual example that I can think of is uh, like with an actual picture frame. I mean, when you, when you have nice family pictures, you want it to be in the right size frame. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have a 5 by 11 frame and then a 5 by 7 picture because then it just looks goofy. Mm -hmm. And if you reverse those sizes, well, then the picture's not going to fit and it just doesn't work. And it's the same with this. The authors intentionally frame what they want us to understand. And Spencer, just like you're saying, with a, with a frame on a picture or a photograph or something like that, that frame enhances and accentuates the picture or the piece of art mm -hmm. that it happens to be. Same thing is true with the biblical text. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, some of us can't help our pictures from looking goofy. Yeah. But <laughs> that's another problem. It's not yeah. together. It's not right. the I think fault. the frame can't help, can't help some of those. It can't save some of us. Yeah. So my, my concluding encouragement would be as we tend to end these episodes is do try this at home and, and we'd be excited if people want to comment on the, on the website as well and, hey, look, I found an inclusio and, and we can comment and say, no, you didn't or no. <laughs> so, no we'll, we'll most likely say, yeah, that's really good and I'm sure we'd be, we'd be delighted to see what you found. And just my, my concluding word of encouragement is, of course, with all of this is we want to go beyond reading. We want to read deeper and, and see what's next, what, what the Lord wants to show us through, the, through a deeper reading of the word. And so we're not trying to come up with anything creative here. Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes when we, when we do these sorts of things, we think, oh, let's, let me try and find one. If I twist this a little bit and turn this in, if I step mm -hmm. back and sort of squint, I think I can see an inclusio here. It's like, no, we want to be seeing what's there. You know, exactly. We want to be finding what, what the Lord has put in the Word. So that's my encouragement is let's, let's see what, what the Lord has in His Word. There's plenty to find and we don't need to be coming up with anything of our own. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's exciting just to see and find all the riches that, that the Lord has put in His Word. That's well said, Lindsay. And, and as you mentioned, this is what our podcast is really all about. It's helping people go beyond just reading the Bible and getting in deeper into God's Word. Well, Spencer, we want to thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. We appreciate your insights into the Word. And uh, thank you all for listening today. And we hope you'll join us in our next episode of Beyond Reading the Bible.